Now, today, to start us all off on the same page, I want to start with this statement. All of us have regret. Now, it's kind of bold of me to say that, right? But we, we feel that all of us would like to go back to a day or a season or a weekend of life. We'd love to go back to a spring break or a previous city or a previous marriage in our life and do it differently. But we can't. In fact, I thought just to help us start out today, I'd like for you to go ahead and just share your most embarrassing and greatest regret in the comment section to kind of get the emotions going. So go ahead and do that. Okay, don't do, don't do that, all right? I'm just kidding. But the truth is, we all look back and, and you ask yourself, how could I have been so dumb? Or I should have seen it coming. Hindsight in 2020 really is 2020. And, and here's the thing about should have seen it coming. And this is so important for where we're headed today. If you should have seen it coming, then the odds are there was someone in your life who did see it coming. When you made that terrible decision or that fi terrible financial decision, maybe a sexual decision, whatever it was, you think, I should have seen it coming. Odds are somebody in your life did see it coming. And either you didn't listen or no one warned you. And if no one warned you, the, the reason why is probably because they thought, I should say something, but it won't make a difference. His mind is made up. He won't listen. Or her mind is made up. She won't listen. But I guarantee that that thing in high school or your first year in college or that relationship or your finances, your career, or your, your parenting, I guarantee somebody saw it coming. Now, I'm like you. I, d I don't want any more seasons in my life that ends in a broken relationship or a bad financial or professional decision or bad parenting or a bad relational decision, any decision where I either over or underreact. I mean, none of us, none of us want that. None of us want to look back on any more of those. So the big question then is, why is it we can't see it coming, but someone else can? Why can I see trouble coming in your life, but you can't? And why is it that you can see trouble coming my way, but it's like I'm blind to it? Why is it that I know exactly what you should do, but you don't? And why is it if I told you my story, you'd know exactly what I should do, but I don't. It's like it's a fog. And here's why. Emotionally charged environments are not ideal for decision-making, and just about every decision-making environment is emotionally charged especially the big ones, right? I mean, emotionally charged environments are not great for decision-making, and yet every big decision involves emotions, and our emotions make what's obvious less obvious. So when it's you, your emotions fog the decision-making process, the entire decision-making process. But I'm not messed up by your emotions. You're in the middle of the storm but I can see above the clouds. And in your mind, you're just surrounded by obstacles going, I don't know what direction I should go. I don't know what I should do. And all your friends are like, really, you can't see? And you're like, no, I can't see. And that's because emotions make decisions difficult. And every major decision is just fraught with emotion. This is why I would do a way better job managing your money than you ever will because I'll never make an impulse buy with your money. You'd say, hey, Chad, can I spend some of my money on that? And I go, no, that's a bad decision. But please, no, but I want it. No, see, every parent, I mean, most of you, you hate, especially if your kids are little, you hate taking your kids to the store, right? 
because they're strategic. They put everything down at knee level for you that's eye level for the kids, things that they want. And you're walking along and suddenly you look down and in their grubby little mitts, they've grabbed some dumb toy. And, and what happens? As soon as they get it in their hand, they feel ownership. And then there's emotion. Mom, dad, mom, dad, can we get this? I want this. And, and you control the money. It's like, no, we're not wasting money on that. You've got like 12 of those at home. You already broke the last three. And, and their emotions escalate, but you have objectivity. You're able to make way better financial decisions for your kids because you're not caught up in their emotions. And so you make good decisions. And you need to know you never outgrow this. What I mean is that as soon as your emotions get attached to a thing, even as an adult, you're prone to make a bad financial decision because financial decisions are not emotionally neutral decisions. That's why a car salesman wants to get you in the car for a test drive. They want you to get attached to that new car and that new car smell. It's the same with marriage. Any of you single or married, you could sit in an office and listen to a couple explain their problems to a counselor and you'd think, well, the solution's obvious. Just stop doing that. It's whenever he or whenever he, okay, sir, don't do that anymore. Well, it's whenever she, okay, ma'am, don't do that anymore. It's just simple, right? And so you don't understand why it is, why it is I could fix someone else's marriage in about two minutes, but my marriage issues, it's like they go on year after year. Same's true with our kids, right? I mean, for those of you that have neighbors with kids, don't you know exactly what your neighbors need to do with their kids it's like, you know what, if that was my son, it'd be this, this, and this, and I'd never let my daughter. I mean, you're single. You don't even have kids yet. And you look at how other parents deal with their kids, and you're like, that's just nuts. I would never. Or, or, and you just know all about raising kids without even having any. But then you have your own. And then you live in a fog for about 18 to 20 years. You're like, what have we done? We don't know how to raise humans. We don't have a clue what we're doing. It was so easy before we had our own kids. And, and I even know what all my neighbors should do with their kids. But why is it so hard? Because parenting is emotional. Marriage is emotional. Money, handling our money, money decisions are emotional. And when you're in the middle of it, emotion fogs our judgment because there's fear and there's lust and anger and greed and jealousy and bitterness and there can be envy. There's just all of these emotions and, and insecurity, and we're trying to make a wise decision. And that's the question. That's the drum we've been pounding on this whole series, trying to just drive into our hearts in this series. And so for today, the question is this. What's the wise thing to do when my emotions are high and my appetites are inflamed? And I want to live with fewer regrets. I want to live with fewer tears. I don't want to waste any more money. How do I make the best decision in an emotionally charged environment where my appetites are awakened and suddenly I've got my eyes or my heart on something or somebody and there's a decision to make? And the answer is one word, and it's the word listen. Because you don't see it coming, but I guarantee you somebody sees it coming and the wise person listens. In fact, wise people recognize when they are in no condition to decide for themselves, by themselves. Wise people push the pause button. They go, this is emotional. 
I'm mad or I'm so lonely or I'm so aroused or I'm so prone to fill in the blank. I'm, I'm emotional and I'm likely to make a bad decision. I need outside input. Wise people know when they are in no condition to decide for themselves, by themselves. And we can all think of a time in our life where this proved exactly right. I remember that time or that season, that financial or relational or sexual decision when I just went with my emotions. I just followed my heart. And people say, just go with your heart. That's a horrible idea. You need to know that. But that's what we do. And the key to responding to situations where you think you might not see what's coming is to listen to somebody who does. Now, today we're in the Old Testament. We're talking about a king who was also the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus. His, his name was Solomon. He was the third king of Israel, and he was King David's son. He lived during the golden age of Israel, where Israel had as much power as they would ever have. Their armies were as powerful as they would ever be. Their reach in terms of land acquisition was as broad as it would ever be. And God, as we're going to see, gave Solomon the gift of wisdom. So Solomon, he didn't have to learn the hard way or by experience like the rest of us. It's kind of like how God gives some people the ability to just hear a song and, and they, it's like they can just play it on any instrument. Or he gives some people the ability to just look at, at a complex math problem and they just see the answer. It's like, Solomon, I'm just going to give you the gift of wisdom. And he was so wise that his fame spread and from all the surrounding nations, people came and they would line up in some cases waiting for days, even months, just to have a short audience with King Solomon because he could hear his situation and his judgment was impeccable and his understanding of the sciences and math and all of the arts was just incredible. And the good news is he wrote a bunch of this down. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which if you're 40 or over, you love. If you're under 40, you think, wow, this is so pessimistic. Like, why is this even in here? He wrote the Song of Solomon, which is all about sex. So at night, little Jewish boys would creep into their father's office or study and find the scroll, look for the Song of Solomon, and then giggle, palm trees and peaches. You know, if you don't know what I mean, go read it. But he also wrote the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs, Solomon draws from this vast wisdom that God gave him, and he gives us all these great one-liners that are just so rich. And here's the interesting thing. The wisest man in the world said more about seeking counsel than any other ancient writer. So in other words, the man who needed counsel the least spoke and wrote about it the most. Because the wisest man in the world, he knew this that there are going to be situations where you aren't going to see it coming, but somebody will. And if you're wise enough to invite them in and humble enough to invite them into the decision-making process, you will gain the clarity you need to make the decision that ultimately you'll be glad that you made. In fact, you can read one chapter, and I would encourage this if you're not really a Bible reader or it's been a long time, you can read one chapter of Proverbs a day and you'll be done in a month, 31 chapters, and you won't regret it. So here's some snapshots from Proverbs about what we're talking about today. Instruct the wise, and they will be even wiser. In other words, you speak to, you counsel, advise a wise person. It's like they just keep getting smarter. They become wiser still. Here's another one. A wise man will listen and increase his learning. And a discerning man will obtain or seek out or pay for. They will bring in guidance. Here's a kind of a negative twist on the same thing. 
The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. And, and you and I, we know people like this, right? It's just like they know everything. They think they're never wrong. They don't need advice. They don't need suggestions. They don't need input. They have an answer for everything. Solomon would say they're actually a fool because a fool is right in his, in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. A fool says, I don't need any advice. I see everything I need to see. I can make the decisions by myself. But a wise man or a wise woman realizes, I don't know what I don't know. Or I'm emotionally compromised. They, they never think that they're so wise that they don't need outside input. Then there's this one. Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. Now, again, this is the smartest person. It's like the smartest person you know, who has an IQ that's just off the charts talking about the importance of education. You'd be like, you never even went to school. You were just born smart. Why is education important? I mean, it's the wisest man in the world, and he's saying, get many advisors. Don't go it alone. Don't think that you're so wise and so smart that you can see all the eventualities. Invite people in to give you advice. Here's a couple more. Listen to advice and accept discipline or accept correction. Accept somebody in your life that goes, hey, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't text him or I wouldn't go over or I wouldn't buy that. I wouldn't spend that money. I wouldn't take that job. And you go, but what about, what about, and you want to push back and Solomon go, no, no, no. Accept that redirection, that correction. Listen to advice and accept discipline and thinking of your hopes and dreams for the future. Listen to advice and accept discipline or correction. And at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. In other words, you'll continue to make great decisions with great outcomes. And over time, people just think you're like so smart and so wise. Now listen to this one. This is a relational proverb. Where there is strife, there's pride. So there's conflict, strife, parent to kid, kid to kid, husband to, hus uh, to wife, boyfriend to girlfriend, boss to employee. Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Now, the amazing thing is the story of Solomon starts off really well. At the very beginning when he's young, he goes, God, I'm a kid. I'm young. I've got to rule this nation. God says, I'll give you anything you want. Solomon says, hey, I want wisdom. I want understanding. God says, you've got it. So it just starts off great. He asks for perfect wisdom, seeks wisdom, spends his life saying, no matter how wise you are, you always need outside input, especially in those things that have to do with money and relationships. But towards the end of his life, he rejects his own advice. He decides, since I'm the wisest person in the world, I don't really need to listen to anybody. And in the end, one of the wisest men who ever lived made some of the dumbest decisions ever made. He wrecked the strongest economy his nation had ever had. He undermined the military authority of his nation, though it was the strongest it had ever been. And he set the next generation of his family, he set his whole nation up for failure. Because in spite of the fact that prophets warned him, the law of God warned him, people around him would have warned him if he would have listened, he decided, I'm the smartest ever. Why would I listen to anybody on the outside? And he ended up ruining everything. And he did what many of us are prone to do, because it's easy for us to see this in politicians or in other people, but he did what many of us are prone to do. He undermined his own success. And ultimately, and this may be true in your life, he undermined his own legacy. Now, I've not said anything so far that you haven't heard before, 
Nobody's going, oh, ask for advice. Chad's so brilliant. This is not new. It's not unique. But, but here's the question. Why don't we do this? We all have stories. I should have seen it coming. We, we all probably agree somebody saw it coming. Why didn't I listen? Or why didn't anybody feel like they had permission to talk to me? We all can agree that decision-making environments are full of emotion and emotion fogs our ability to reason. We all know this. So why? Especially some of us as men. I mean, come on, guys. Before GPS apps, they, the ladies made fun of us because we wouldn't stop and ask for directions when we were lost driving. But let's be honest. We don't stop and ask for directions for just about anything in any area of life, right? Because we're just, you know, we're just, we feel like we need to know everything and, and appear smarter than everybody else. It's just in us to not do this. But why? Why would we ignore a principle that's so apparent? And even as I speak, some of you are feeling a little tense or nervous because you know, you know that right now there's something in your life right now that you know, I really should seek advice because there's emotion involved. And, and there's several reasons we resist this. And, and, and here's the first big one, because we already know what the wise people are going to say and we don't want to hear it, right? I mean, don't we spend ages 12 to 20 with this mindset I don't ask for advice because I already know the answer. I know what they're going to say. It's partly why we have the saying, better to ask forgiveness than permission, right? And most of us have learned the hard way that's not always true. And Solomon, who in the end didn't take his own advice and undermined his own life and legacy, says if you know what to do and you just don't do it, he has a term for that. He says, you're this, a fool. A fool is a person who knows the difference between right and wrong and just chooses to do what's wrong. So if you're one of those people who already knows what a parent or sibling or a friend or a mentor, somebody that you look up to and trust, the wise people in your life, if you know what they would tell you to do and you've just decided not to do it, Solomon would say, you're a fool. And he says, and you'll, you'll pay for that. There will be a price to pay. Now, one of the other reasons that we don't do this we think it's nobody's business. It's my money. It's my marriage, my kids, my job, my career, my decision. It's nobody else's business. So I'm not going to ask for advice. I'm not going to listen to advice. So leave me alone. Pray for me, but don't talk to me because this is my decision. It's a private decision. But the problem is private decisions always have public consequences. Always. What's made in private doesn't stay in private. Because personal decisions impact more than just you, especially if you're married or a parent or an employee or a boss. If you're in any, any relationship, I mean, think about it. Every public scandal, whether it's a politician or musician, performer, an actor, or just people in the community, every public scandal started with a private decision, all of them. Private decisions have public consequences, and they involve and impact more people than just you. And we know this. And yet there's still this thing that's just like, I can figure this out. I can get through this. I'm smart enough. Just leave me alone. What is that? And the Old and the New Testament writers and Jesus would tell us, common sense tells us, it's pride. I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. I'm a grown-up. I'm 17 years old. Because when we're 17, we didn't need anybody to tell us what to do, right? And then we get a little bit older, we look back and we just laugh, right? Then we look back on 21 and we laugh. 
I mean, regardless of how old you are, your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, it doesn't matter. You're going to look back on a day or season of your life and go, what was I thinking? I mean, I thought I was so smart. Now, as I wrap up, just two final statements that just go to the root of why our pride keeps us from acknowledging, accepting, and embracing outside candle uh, counsel, and it's this. Success is intoxicating, and failure is humiliating. If you're super successful, everyone will think that you're smart about everything. I mean, have you ever been in the room where there's somebody that's like super rich or they're a real famous person and a little posse always forms around a super wealthy or a well-known person? And have you ever noticed that everything they say is just true? And everything that they say that's kind of funny is really funny. And for many of us, it's very difficult to survive success because after a while, you begin to think you know a lot about everything. And that's not true. But you think, why in the world would I seek advice about anything? And if you're successful or you're recognized in your field or your industry as being successful, your inclination will be to think, well, since I know a lot about this, then I guess I'm probably kind of an expert on all matters. And you will naturally resist outside input or inviting feedback and counsel. And you will really resist going to a counselor. Even if your husband or your wife starts saying, you know, honey, maybe we need to get some outside help. And you immediately push back. It's like, no, 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 we'll figure this out. I, I've got this. I've, I've seen a marriage. Uh, we'll, we've made it this far. I know how to husband. I know how to wife. We, we don't need to air our dirty laundry. I mean, what's a counselor going to tell us that we don't already know? That's pride. And on the flip side, the, the flip side is true as well. Failure is humiliating. In fact, maybe the worst thing for a man is to feel, uh, uh, and I guess this is true for w women too, but I can only speak from my perspective, is the worst thing for a man to feel is inadequate. And ladies, this may explain something that maybe you've noticed with your sons or grandsons, a brother, your husband, or a boyfriend. If there's an area in our life where we feel inadequate, where we're not doing so well, and then you come along being so helpful, you go, hey, I know. Uh, hey, honey, I've got this book or this thing about this thing that you're not doing so well in, or I've got this link. So if you would read this or watch this, you'll get better at what you're not doing so well. You don't say it that way, but that's the way we hear it. And so you slide it our way, or you say, listen to this podcast, or watch this YouTube video, and, and uh, or maybe we can go to this conference or this marriage thing. And then as men, we resist. And you're like, okay, you know you're not so good at this. I know you're not so good at this. I'm just trying to help you. Why is it you are resisting me? And here's why. Because anything that reminds me of my inadequacy is something I'm naturally going to resist, even the solution to my inadequacy. And that is so dumb, right? Yeah, as, yet as men, this is what we do. But ladies, you're not immune to this, are you? You know, for men and women in the areas where you feel pretty good at in life or relationships or parenting or in your career, like you'll go to conferences, get better at you. You love reading more and more about stuff that you feel that you're somewhat good at. If you're a leader and you feel like you're an adequate or a decent or even a good leader, and then somebody comes along with a leadership book and go, hey, I, I'd really suggest this book. You don't go, I don't need that. I'm a leader. You go, no, nah, thanks. I love this stuff. I eat it up. But when someone comes along and tries to feed you information into an area where you feel inadequate, there's something in this that we just naturally 
we resist it. And Solomon and the other writers in the Old and the New Testament would say, that's pride. And it will undermine all of your success. And this is exactly what happened to Solomon. And God says, listen, I didn't design you to figure it out on your own. You need community. You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen twice as much as you talk. I don't have a verse for that, but let's go with it. I mean, somebody can see what you're pretending to not see. Are you willing to invite them in? Because the people who come to the end of their life and experience the greatest peace and joy in relationships and finances and their mental health and their sense of worth, one of the things that they all share in common They were people that when the emotions and the appetites ramped up, they hit the pause button and they invited someone else into the conversation. So here's the question I'm going to send you away with to ask, answer, and act on. In light of your experience, your current circumstances, in light of your hopes and dreams for your future, who do you need to listen to? Listen, and God will use the voices of other people to guide you, to guard you, and to ensure that you never have to look back on another season or another episode or another relationship or expenditure in your life and wonder, why didn't I see that coming? Let me pray for us. Father, this is easily said, not so easily done. And God, again, just acknowledges that thing in us that we don't want to appear weak or dumb or silly or whatever it is. God, I pray for for myself, for everyone that's listening to me, that you would, by your spirit, by your helper, give us just the humility and the courage to just get over ourselves and to go seek advice. I pray for everyone right now, God, that they know it's right in the forefront of their mind that there's something that they are feeling emotional about, that they're wrestling with. I pray that you'll both give them the courage to go seek advice and then the wisdom to discern who to go seek that advice from. And I pray, God, that you would bless that conversation and that you would bless the outcome. And God, we know that you, your ways are life, that you, pro- that you desire life that's truly life. So, Father, I pray that everyone that will act on this, that that's exactly what they will experience. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Well, again, I just want to thank all of you for joining us. Don't miss next week. We're going to be beginning a a brand new series. Uh, We'll be talking about that, but especially in light of everything that we're facing in the world, but especially as a country right now, uh, there's one thing that if we don't get it right, if we get confusion about what it looks like to, 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 to be what God has called us to be, we're just going to continue to be, add confusion and fire to the problems that we are facing. But if we can get it right, it could literally change everything for us, for our city, and for our country. So please don't miss what we're going to be launching next Sunday. Also, just as a reminder, and again, especially if you're a guest, if you're new, first time joining us, click the link in the comments about the cookout that's coming next Sunday. We would love to have you join us for part of that. And uh, don't be nervous about coming to see a bunch of people you've never met before, you don't know. Uh, just, uh, just, I tell you, the, the people, you're, you're going to be loved, you're going to be welcomed, uh, no matter where you are on your faith journey. So again, thank you for joining us. And we definitely hope to see you at the cookout, definitely hope to see you next week. All right. See you then.